but this morning we're going to continue the series called Perfect Fit. And the whole idea is that everyone that I know, including myself, and probably is the same for you, including yourself, we want our lives to matter. We want to make a difference with our lives. We want to feel like uh, the time that we had on planet Earth made a difference, that somehow or other we left this place better because we were here. And, and so what I've learned about myself, what I know about all of us is this. Your one life is meant to make a difference. God created you with a plan and a purpose, and your one life is intended to make an impact. It may be in the life of one other person. It may be in the lives of countless other people, but God created you for a plan and a purpose and to make a difference. We all want to make a difference. God has a plan for us to make a difference. So what is it that keeps us from making the impact with our lives that we want and that God wants? So often it's our excuses, our insecurities, the things that we allow to hold us back. Things like, um, I'm just not good enough. I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. Uh, I don't know where I fit. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't really want to do what it is that I'm supposed to do. I don't know if it's going to make a difference anyway. What if I fail? What if I mess up? So we've got all these excuses, and it holds us back from the thing that we want most for our lives to matter. And so as we learned last week that one of the excuses that we so often use is, I don't know where I fit. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And what we learned is that God has given us all. He shaped us. He formed us. He created us all with a personality, with passions, with natural gifts and abilities. And then on top of that, when we become followers of Christ, he empowers us with spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. So we have to start by saying, I know where I fit. God has formed me and shaped me to fit somewhere. But beyond that, what we're going to talk about this morning is not so much where do I fit, but what holds us back is, okay, I know I fit somewhere, but I don't really have anything to offer. I don't have anything that's of value. And so we think I, I can't really make I want to make a difference. I see where there's a need, but I don't have what it takes. So what do we do instead? We say, so I see the need. I see what needs to be done, but because I, I'm not the person to do it, we go, hey, pastor, I know what you need to do. And we expect the pastor or we expect our friend or we expect our spouse or we expect a coach or we want a teacher to step in and do those things because we don't think that we're able to. So there's a guy in the Bible by the name of Jeremiah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. Um, he, he wrote the book of Jeremiah. He also wrote the book of Lamentations. If you write a book called Lamentations, a lot of the prophets, you know, might say, I don't even know what that word means. It means to, to just be weeping. The, the weight of the message that you're giving breaks your heart. He lamented because he's saying Israel is going to face God's judgment. And so you know, he, he was a prophet. Everybody says, I want, I want the gift of prophecy. I, don't, you don't want Jeremiah's gift of prophecy. But Jeremiah, he, he wrote the book of Jeremiah, and it starts with his uh, prophetic calling on his life. And God says, I've called you to be a prophet. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to me, to Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So God is saying, I created you with a plan and a purpose. I want your life to matter. And here's what I've called you 
to do. Here's what I want for you. I am calling you. I am moving you. I am placing you in a position of a prophet. But here's Jeremiah's response. Uh, Sovereign Lord, I don't think I'm the guy for the job. I don't have what it takes. I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. I have put my words in your mouth. In other words, it's easy to stop and look and say, I can't do this. But if God's calling you to do it, he will give you the gifts, the talents, and the ability to accomplish it. He's not going to ask you to do something and say, now, I'm setting you up to fail. God isn't your mother-in-law. He doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to succeed. (laughs) He wants you to to have a great uh, impact with your life. So if he's calling you to do something and you feel you're not equipped, the reason is because we don't look at what we have. We look at what we don't have. Jeremiah, I'm too young. I don't know how to speak. God says, but I'll give you the words and don't worry about you're too young. I've called you to this. We always look at what we don't have instead of what we do have. If you want to be used by God to make an impact, you have to start looking at what you have, not what you don't have. If you're simply, I've got something. God's given me something, a gift, a talent, an ability, and I'm going to stop saying if I only could write like she writes, if I could only speak like he speaks, if I could only create content like they create content, if I only had, then I would. Instead of saying, what do I have that God can use? And that, that's one of the biggest things that holds us back is our, uh, our self-doubt, I just, I can't, I, I can't do that. So it means that we have to change our, our mindset, our mentality, how we approach using what God has given us. Now, I don't know where most of you stand on Jesus. I believe most of you say, I love the Lord. I believe in God, but some of you may not. Some of you may say, I don't know about Jesus. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still praying about it. I'm still asking questions. I'm still kind of kicking the tires. Do I want to be a follower of Jesus? Do I not want to be a follower of Jesus? Maybe you don't even believe that there was a historical man named Jesus. That's fine. Work through those things. But wherever you stand on Jesus, I believe most of us would say the person of Jesus real or just a a, a made-up person, the person of Jesus has had the greatest impact in human history. He's how we divide uh, our calendar, B.C., A.D. Uh, He he has impacted thoughts and behaviors and actions and, uh, and so much of Western culture, but even global culture. So I don't know where you stand on Jesus, but I believe most people would say he is the most influential, impactful figure in human history. And what is it that marked Jesus and made him so impactful? There's a lot of things you could point to. You could say um, his teachings. His teachings were, were just so unique and powerful. You could say it was his sinless, perfect life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You could say it was the miracles that he performed walking around in the power of the Holy Spirit, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, making the the lame to walk and the blind to see and raising the dead. You could say it was um, just the love and the compassion and the grace that he poured out on the lost and the least. 
All those things are true, but I believe the foundation of all that, what made all of that possible, what was built, what, what all that was built on was Jesus' heart of servanthood. Jesus was a servant, and he wants his followers to be servants as well. It's what marked his life, and it's what's supposed to mark our lives. So at one point, Jesus is traveling, and he's got his 12 closest friends, the, the 12 uh, uh, disciples, the 12 apostles. They're, they're walking, and, and the 12 are kind of having this conversation, and they're arguing amongst themselves. Who do you think's the greatest among us? Who do you think is the most significant? Who do you think is going to have the greatest impact for God's kingdom? Who do you think is going to make the biggest difference with their lives? And Jesus, being Jesus, not only overheard the conversation, but he discerned because he was like God, what they were talking about. And he said, hey, boys, I want to talk to you about this. And this is what he said. Whoever would be the greatest among you, the most influential, the most impactful, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be the greatest of all must be a servant of all. So Jesus is saying, you want your life to make a difference? You want to be impactful? You want to have significance? The key to significance is servanthood. The key to making a difference is having a servant's heart. Now, Jesus, what I love about him, among a lot of things, is that he never asks us to do something that he doesn't model himself. So he doesn't say, boys, you need to be servants. So chop, chop, and get to it. He says, you need to be servants, and oh, by the way, I came to model servanthood for you, because his next words are this. For even I, even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for money. Even I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give, to serve and to give, to serve and to give. In other words, greatness is achieved by serving. If you want your life to be impactful, the key to the most impactful, influential life in human history was servanthood, and it's the same for us. Greatness is achieved by serving. So you hear all that, and you say, well, okay, pastor, I get it. I'm supposed to serve. Uh, fine, that's well and good. But remember Jeremiah, I, I don't know how to speak and I'm too young. I kind of feel like that. Fine, you're telling me I'm supposed to serve. I, I guess I need to serve, but I don't really know how to serve. I don't have what it takes. I don't have anything to offer. Now, we talked last week that that's not true. Not only do you have natural talents, a personality, you have passions, but God also gives you spiritual gifts. But beyond that, Great, you have gifts. God doesn't just work through our giftedness. See, there are a lot of gifted people who never do anything with their gifts. What it requires is this, willingness. God works through your willingness, not just your giftedness. I, I know people who are tremendously, tremendously gifted, and they never live up to their potential. And I know people who have very... Um, comparatively, a very small amount of giftedness, but man, their impact is huge because they say, I want to leverage everything I have. So you can have a gift, but if a gift isn't used, one day you're going to breathe your last breath and all your gifts, all your talents, all your passions, all your abilities will be buried in the ground with you. What a, what a horrible waste. What, what God gave you those things because he wants your life to make an impact. 
Now, we're going to be talking about in the context of a local church, but, but your willingness to serve, your willingness to be used by God, that servant heart isn't just in the context of the local church. It's how you serve your husband, how you serve your wife, how you serve, serve your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your teammates, your coaches, you name it. We're called to be servants, not of some. Jesus said, if you want to make the greatest impact, you'll be the servant of all. Jesus' words, not mine. If you just want to have a small impact, be a servant of some. If you want to have a great impact, be a servant of all. So we have to look and say, what does it mean to serve? How do I serve? So I want to look at the life of a man named Joseph. You probably don't know him as Joseph. You probably know him as somebody else. Because when I say Joseph and we think about the Bible, we typically default to one of two men, either Joseph from the Old Testament, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, or Joseph, the guy who was married to Mary and was the father of Jesus, but wasn't really father of Jesus. But normally it's one of those two. You know, we think that's the only two Josephs in the Bible. But there, there's other Josephs. And the one we're going to talk about, you probably don't know as Joseph because he's not normally referred to as Joseph. But what we're going to see in his life is that he engages himself as a servant. He says, I'm going to take the, the words of Jesus serious. See, Joseph lived uh, at the time of Jesus. He was around. He, he was in Jerusalem. He was in that area. We don't know if he had any interactions with Jesus before his death, burial, and resurrection. But afterward, he hears about this message of hope this message that you can have a radically different life, that you can have an eternal life, a life of significance. But it means embracing the way of Jesus, and the way of Jesus is living as a servant. And it so captivates Joseph's heart that he says, I want to live like that. I want to put Jesus' words into action. I will be a servant, and I will serve any way that I can. And so the first thing we're going to see in Joseph's life is this. A servant gives. A servant gives. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. So what are you willing to give? Jesus gave his life. What are you willing to give? What was Joseph willing to give? This is what it says in Acts. One of the believers was named Joseph, a Levite born in Cyprus. The apostles called him Barnabas, which means one who encourages or the son of encouragement or the great encourager. Joseph owned a field, sold it, brought the money and gave it to the apostles. Joseph said, if I'm going to be a servant, I have to be willing to give. Jesus gave, what can I give? See, the church is just starting. Jesus uh, had just been raised from the dead. The uh, Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. The church is birthed, and, and, and it's growing. People are hearing about the message of Christ. The Holy Spirit's moving in power. The gifts of the Spirit are being manifest, and people are coming to Christ. Every day, hundreds, sometimes thousands are coming to faith. It's exciting. It's, it, is, it is what uh, turned that whole world upside down. I mean, it's, people can't contain it. The, that's, listen, that's rapid growth. <laughs> you go from 12, 120 to 3,000 in, in a day. I mean, it's like, what do we do? The problem is when it's growing like that, when so many people are coming to faith, you know what people bring with them? Their needs. They don't say, I'm a Christian now. I don't have any needs. They had needs before they became Christians. Now they became Christians and they have needs. The difference is when you become a Christian, you look to a different source to meet your needs. 
as a follower of Christ, you look to God to meet your needs. And God worked through his church. So these people with needs start looking to the local church saying, we need help. So all this excitement's happening, but now all these needs to be, needs need, uh, need to be met. And they start wondering, are we going to be able to meet all these? How are we going to do this? Somebody's going to have to step up. And Joseph says, I will. Jesus gave, I'm going to give. He might have said, I don't have a lot. I don't have much. I don't know what I have, but what I have, I'm willing to use. He didn't look at what he didn't have. He looked at what he did have. And he said, you know what I have? I have this field. And so I'm going to take this field and I'm going to sell it. And then I'm going to give. I'm going to give it to the local church. You say, well, it doesn't say local church. It says the apostles. That, that was a local church. There was nothing else. Before that, there was no church. This is the church. So he says, I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it. And he gave it and it encouraged people because what happened was it became a multiplier. We don't know if it was a big gift, but it probably was. But it was big in impact because people looked and they were so encouraged. They were so inspired that they no longer called him Joseph. They said, what you did was so inspiring, so encouraging, built us up so much that we're going to call you the son of encouragement. Other people got on board. Other people said, we want to help meet these needs. We believe in the vision. We believe in the mission. We want our lives to matter. And it's because Joseph didn't look at what he didn't have. He looked at what he did have and said, God, you can use this if I'm willing to be a servant. So the first thing is a servant gives. If you want to Put down the excuse of, I don't have anything. Look at what you do have and not what you don't have. The next thing is this. A servant serves. Now, I know some of you are going, well, yeah. And that's kind of obvious. Yeah, it's so obvious we often miss it. I remember one time I was talking with a leader in a church, and the person said, um, I just want you to know, I serve by leading. And he went on and explained for 24 minutes about how that fit into his theological box because it takes a lot of gymnastics to make that statement fit with anything in the Bible. Um, and, and I listened and I thought, he is so close to being right, but he's wrong. If you have the gift of leadership, use your gift of leadership to lead, absolutely. But you don't serve by leading, you serve by serving. Jesus didn't say, now the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to lead. He didn't say the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to uh, preach. He said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. So if you are a servant and you're called to be a servant, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to put service into action. You have to say, I can't use an excuse. I can't make up some uh, ex uh, weird you know, rationalization that says I, that's below me. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a servant of all. Then he stoops down, picks up a towel, and washes his followers' feet. So at some point, we have to say, that is the model I'm going to follow. So Barnabas heard all about this. He heard all about this, and he knew, I want my life to matter. I want to make an impact. I want to be a servant the way Jesus said to be a servant. And so he's there. He's with the church. He's in Jerusalem. Things are happening. It's great. But here's the amazing thing. The gospel wasn't contained to Jerusalem. It starts to spread way beyond Jerusalem. Jesus goes viral. He's everywhere. 
I mean, everywhere in that region, people are hearing about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. Miracles, signs, wonders are happening. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's exciting. It's wonderful. The problem is there's nobody there to keep them grounded. So they come to faith, and then these people would come in, these kind of wolves in sheep's clothing, and they would bring in all these weird, uh, unorthodox teachings. So Jesus didn't, he was just a, a mist, he was just a spirit, he wasn't really human, all these kind of things. And so the church in Jerusalem hears about this and says, this is great. People are becoming followers of Jesus. What we need to do is bring people there to them that will serve them, that will teach them that will mentor them, that will protect them, that will watch over them. And so Barnabas hears about this and says, that's me, I'm going, I'm going. One of the cities is a city called Antioch. So Barnabas hears about this need and says, I'll go. You need someone to go, I'll go. I will serve, I will be happy to serve those people. This is what it says in Acts 11. When he, meaning Barnabas, arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and he encouraged them. Of course he did. He was the son of encouragement. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus and he looked for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him and he went back to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. Now, if you don't know who this Saul guy is, he became the apostle Paul. But here's the whole thing. Barnabas says, I want to serve. I want to help. I will invest my life. I'm going to take, I'm going to uproot myself. And for a whole year, I will serve in that point of need. Whatever they need, however I can serve them, I'm going to do it. I'm going to meet that need because these people need someone to love them, to encourage them, to help them to experience the kingdom dynamic at work in their lives so that their lives can then be impacted. And so because of that, the impact that he made in them, people began to live the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus. And it was so evident to those in the city that didn't even believe in Jesus that it changed how they referred to them. So when Barnabas gave, when Joseph gave, it was such an encouragement, they changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas. When he went and served the people in Antioch, the difference he made was so great that from that point on, they changed how they referred to followers of Jesus. Up to that point, they were called the followers of the way. Afterward, this is what they became known as. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. If you call yourself a Christian, it's because of the service that Barnabas did when he was in that city. Now, here's the amazing thing, and we miss this, right? Christians, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. It means little Christs. So they're little Christs. Some people will tell you it's meant in a derogatory way, ah, a bunch of little Christs. I don't think it meant that. I, this is what I believe. See, what we miss is the word Christ is a Western, an English word for a Hebrew word, for a Jewish word, Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. So in other words, when when the people in the city of Antioch looked at the followers of Jesus, they said, it's as if they're all walking around with this anointing on them. And it is radically changing their lives, so much so that we're noticing it. We don't even believe in Jesus, but something is marking their life as uniquely different. So much so that they said, they're like, there's these little anointed ones running around. We either have to get on board with them or kill them, but there's no other option. 
when's the last time someone said that about you? I'm either going to get on board with you or kill you, but there's no middle ground. Most of us just want to fit in. And we wonder why our lives don't make an impact, don't make a difference. So here's Barnabas. He goes out and he serves. His life made a difference. Listen, not only did it make a difference in countless lives, thousands of years later, we can see that. But at the time, what did he do? He went and found Saul. Saul, who was persecuting the church, who became a follower of Jesus, he went and found Saul and encouraged him. Later on in his life, so he didn't just look for the big, big moments. He looked and found those opportunities to say, who can I serve at this point? So there's this guy, John Mark. John Mark was about to leave the ministry. Uh, Paul said, basically, he rejected us. I'm rejecting him. And, and Barnabas says, whoa, 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 whoa. They call me Barnabas for a reason. Let me encourage this young man. Let me get him back on the path that God has for him. And he encourages him, and he goes on later in life to write the Gospel of Mark. So your life and my life and Barnabas's life and everyone's life is meant to make a difference in one life or in countless lives. But what we have to realize is that serving isn't a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. We serve throughout our life. I mean, so Barnabas could have had every excuse to not make a difference. Right? It came to giving, right? We all have excuses. Barnabas could have had his excuses. Um, I don't know if it would be financially prudent for me to divest myself of my real estate holdings at this time. Um, you know, I, I need that for my future. I need it for my retirement. I need it to provide for my life. It just wouldn't be financially wise for me to do that at this point. We all have our excuses. Barnabas could have had his. Maybe Barnabas had given before. Maybe he had given in the past, and he kind of said, hey, I've given. I've given. I've, I've, it's time for other people to step up and give. I, I've, I've done what my part. I've met a need. If there's other needs, well, there's other people that can meet those needs. Maybe Barnabas had never given. Maybe he had never, ever given before, and he could have said, I, I would like to give. Oh, it's on my heart to give. I just can't give right now. I mean, things are tight. It's difficult. One day, I hope to be able to give. But, you know, I look at the church, and they got a lot of stuff, and, and they, they don't seem to really be doing that bad. I don't really think they need what little I have anyway. I mean, all I've got is a field out somewhere. They don't need that. Look, they're, they're flush with cash. He could have had all the excuses. We can have all the excuses when it comes to serving. You know what he could have said? This is what I would have said. Uh, uproot myself and go live in Antioch for a year. I think that um, one of the 12 apostles ought to do that. I mean, they're the ones that walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, heard him firsthand. They were with him for three and a half years. They should go. They, I, I don't have the expertise. I don't have the training. I don't have the degree. I don't have the background. Let someone else go. I mean... I'll give, I'll write a check, that's fine, but I'm not going for a year. He could have said, uh, I really, would really like to go, but this is a bad season in my life. I mean, this is not a good season. I, I'm married, I've got young children, we've got sports, we've got activities. It's just not a good season. In a different season, it'll be better. When my spouse finishes getting their degree, I can serve. When I get my business established, it will be a great time to serve. When I retire, oh, then I'll, then I'll have all the time in the world. I've talked to a lot of you all who have retired. You have less time when you retire than when you work. So that doesn't work. But we have 
all these excuses. Here's what I've learned when it comes to seasons of life. Every season of life is a season. You're like, what? Okay, what I mean is when one season ends, another one starts. So you're always going to be in a season. I'm, uh, this season. But, you know, when fall ends, when autumn ends, you don't like, oh, there's no more seasons. When, when, when fall ends, winter starts. When winter ends, spring starts. When one season in your life ends, the next one starts. And if you're looking for a better season, you're never going to find it. At some point, what you need to do is say, I'm willing to serve. At some point, you and I, we need to stop making excuses and start serving. We need to put down our excuses and pick up a towel and say, how can I serve? What need can I meet? What needs to be done? Because when we hold on to our excuses, our rationalizations are rational to us. Our justifications are justified to us. Our excuses make sense to us, but they hold us back from the greatness and the impact and the difference that we want to make with our lives and from accomplishing the plans and the purposes that God has for our lives. So at some point, we have to say, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to put down my excuses and find a place to serve. For some of you, that means you're going to have to sell a field. And you're going to say, there's a need in the church. There's a way I can help. There's something I can support. I believe in the vision and the mission of the local church, the church that I call home, and I want to give to that. For some of you, uh, looking for opportunities. And there's so many ways you can serve. In the local church, you can be on, uh, you could help support what we do online. Whether it's social media, website, uh, graphic design. Uh, you could be an online host. There's a million different ways. You can, uh, you can serve outside the walls of the four churches. There's people in this church that run nursing homes. You could say, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to and encourage and help these men and women as they're older in life. And, and maybe they don't get many visitors and they've kind of been forgotten, but their lives mattered. And I want them to know their life still matters. We're coming into winter. So you say there's cold purple, which helps homeless people have a place to sleep when the weather gets cold. And it can get cold here in Delaware. And so all of a sudden, it's 10, 15 degrees out. It's negative numbers every once in a while. And you know what? If you're there and you help and open up that shelter, there's a place for people to go. There's so many ways you can serve. You can serve in our children's ministry. You can serve with our students. You can serve by leading a connect group. You can serve on our tech team, on our worship team and our parking team, and our safety team. There's so many ways that you can serve and you can give, but what it means is looking beyond what you are comfortable with, what you think you have to offer, and saying, is there a need here? I may not have everything, but I have something, and I'm going to use what I have. A servant gives, and a servant serves. What I know is this. Everyone has something to give. And if you'll give and if you'll serve, no matter how small you think it is, God can use it to make a huge, huge impact. Four friends, John, Michael, Jonathan, and Billy. Four friends, these men all went to the same church and they decided, let's find a way to help. Let's find a way to serve. And so they decided that each of them, one Sunday a month would serve in the children's ministry. One hour a week, one Sunday a month, and they just would rotate through. So we want to make a difference. We want our lives to matter. They did this for a number of years, 
And at one point, the pastor of that church received a letter from a single mom of a seven-year-old boy. And she wrote, Dear Pastor, I want you to know how incredibly thankful I am for this church and for this children's ministry. It's having a huge, uh, it's making a huge difference in my life and in my son's life. Pastor, what you probably don't know is that my son's father has very little to do with him. He has almost no interest in his life and he puts him at the bottom of his priority list. I've known this and I've seen this for years. Sadly, my son is beginning to recognize it now too. He recently vocalized to me that my dad doesn't care about me. I'm not important to him and he doesn't want to be part of my life. Then he shared with me something he wrote in his journal. He wrote, my daddy hates me. He doesn't care about me, but I'm learning that I'm okay that God is my real daddy and my real dad has sent men into my life like Michael and John and Jonathan and Billy and they know me and they care about me and they make me feel safe and important the mother went on and said pastor I know as a single mom there are things that I cannot do there are needs in my son's life that I cannot meet and I am so thankful for men like that that would see a need and step up and meet it. I just want you to know this church and this children's ministry is making a difference in my son's life. I am so grateful. Listen to me, four men, one hour a week, one Sunday a month are changing the course and direction of that young man's life. All because they're willing to be a Barnabas all because they said, how can I give? How can I serve? They have no idea, I have no idea what that young man's life is gonna look like when he's 17 or 27 or 37 or 47 or 77. But I know this, what they're doing now will shape his future. And you and I can do the same thing if we'll put down our excuses, pick up a towel and start to serve. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and I'm asking God that you would begin to stir in our hearts. What are the excuses we're holding on to? What are the justifications that we're using? What's keeping us from having the impact that we'd have? God, the first thing I'm praying is this. Oh, that you would, if, if, if anything I said, God, if it came across as guilt, condemnation, manipulation in any way, God, take that away. I'm not asking for anything from anyone, but I do want something for everyone. I want their life to have an impact, to make a difference. I want them to experience greatness. So God, show us those areas where we need to serve. God, show us those things that you've given us, not what we don't have, not what we wish we had, not where we think we're deficit, but God, what have you given us? Because you've given us something and if we'll start looking at what we have, we can give it to you. Show us those areas where we can serve, where we can make a difference, where our lives can have an impact. Now, as you continue to pray, just ask God to show those things to you. Some of you, you know right now, I need to step up and serve. I need to get involved. Don't leave here being inspired only to continue 
with the excuses. Allow God to, to take you, the Holy Spirit to spur you into action. But for some of you, as you're praying, some of you, what you don't realize is the greatest act of service ever demonstrated was when Jesus came and served by giving his life. He gave his life for you. See, before you can fully serve God, you need to accept that he serves you. Not because you deserved it, not because you were clean enough, not because you you did a good job. He served you when you didn't even want him to and you didn't ask him to. He came and he gave his life. So the greatest way that you can serve is by accepting the, the gracious service of God through Jesus Christ who said, I gave my life for you. I love you that much. So if you're joining us online, you're here in person and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to accept that. I want to receive that. I want to serve God, but before I can serve God, I need to accept his love. So if that's you, just raise your hand right where you are. Say, I want to give my life to Christ. If you're joining us online, click the button. says, I want to give my life to Jesus. Now, if everyone, whether you raised your hand or not, if you would pray these words after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he served me by giving his life. And thank you that he rose from the dead. And because of that, my sins can be forgiven and I can have eternal life. So God, now I give you my life and I receive new life in Christ. Forgive me for all my sins. Make me new. Change me. Clean clean me up. I can't do it on my own. Now I'm asking, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could live for you, that I could tell others about you, and that I could serve you well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer, you're part of God's family. We're done here this morning. Please come talk with someone up front. They want to help you take those next steps with Christ. If you're joining us online, click the connect with us button and somebody will follow up with you because you can't and you're not meant to walk this journey alone. But now I'm going to ask if you'd all stand to your feet. I don't know what it is, what areas you need to serve, where you need to give, how you need to respond. But if you do, there's going to be prayer teams up here. They will pray with you. They'll pray for you. Because God doesn't want you to just say, I need to do this. He wants you to put it into action. He has called you and called me to greatness. So if you'd like prayer this morning, as this song is played, please come forward and receive prayer.